Hi, everyone, and welcome. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's Wednesday, September 27th, and it's time for your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I am excited to be with you today. Thanks for joining me. We're studying in Titus. It's only three chapters long, and today is chapter two. We're going to talk about Paul's instructions to Titus about how he was to promote right teaching in the churches on the island of Crete. We're going to have a great time today, but as we always do, we begin with a word of prayer. So won't you join me in that? Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we celebrate you today. Lord, we just want to just learn from you today. So teach us from this amazing book, one of those three pastoral epistles that Paul wrote, this one to Titus and chapter two at that. Teach us the purpose today and how we can apply this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible or Bible app to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, and let's find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Amen to the reading of God's word today. All right, let's go. Starting with verse 1, let's take it apart. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Here we go with our first question today. This verse focuses back to Timothy himself. How is Titus to instruct the people? Whereas the false teachers were deceivers, Titus was to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. In other words, Titus was to instruct people according to sound doctrine and wholesome teaching. Knowledge and acceptance of wholesome teaching should lead to right living. Behavior should match belief. So in the following verses, we'll see that Paul gave Titus examples of the right kind of behavior expected of several types of people in the churches. Verse 2. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Here's the question. Paul begins this verse by focusing on older men, and he lists six traits that they should have. What are they? 
First of all, the older men, as it says, though technically not elders, were the senior members of the community and should be examples of maturity. Because they were mature members of the community and examples to younger men, Titus should teach them to exercise self-control, meaning that their lives should show moderation and clear-headedness with an absence of extravagance. This would be in stark contrast to the Cretan culture of being undisciplined and lazy. Second, they were to be worthy of respect. This means they should be serious-minded. They should act as dignified and honorable adults. Third, they were to live wisely, which contrasts with the lifestyle in the heathen atmosphere. They needed to monitor and restrain their passions, anger, and words. Fourth, older men must have sound faith. Just as church leaders were to hold to sound doctrine, older men were to affirm biblical teaching and live according to it. Fifth, older men were to be filled with love. This meant that they should be loving and not bitter. Their love was to be personal and outgoing. It is the Greek term agape, which means a love focused on others rather than oneself. And sixth, they were to be filled with patience, which required endurance and steadfastness. On to verse 3, it says, Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. Our question is, in this verse, Paul is focused on older women, and he lists three traits that they should have. What are they? First of all, Titus was to teach the older woman in a way that honors God. Do you see that? In other words, their lifestyles should be appropriate, meaning dignified, worthy of honor, and Christ-like. Older Christian women should have respectful attitude toward all aspects of life and toward people of all ages. Second, they must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. First, this means that they should not speak badly of others, which included all forms of gossip. Secondly, they should not be heavy drinkers. The Greek phrase here is either translated as slaves to wine or addicted to wine. Thirdly, like the older men and elders, older women were to teach others what is good. This meant not necessarily public sharing, but sharing their wisdom, knowledge, and faith within their circles of family and friends. And their teaching also has a uniqueness, which we're going to see more clearly in verses 4 and 5. Speaking of which, let's read them, verses 4 and 5. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely, and to be pure, to work in their homes, to be, do good, and be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Here's the question. What are the older women to teach the younger women according to these verses? Specifically, the older women must train the younger women. Do you see that? They must train the younger women in the church by the word and by example. First, in verse 4, the older women could encourage the younger women in the church to love their husbands and their children. I mean, that seems obvious, right? But Paul is saying a young Christian woman was to live faithfully to her husband, showing love to him and to her children. Paul may have included this because it was in contrast to the wild living of Crete's non-believing women, or even because of the influence of the false teachers on these women. Next, as with the older men and women, these younger women needed to live wisely. Another way of saying this is they were to live with self-control and in a sensible way, traits also expected of older men in verse 2. The next word is pure, and it means to control their passions and desires, in other words, remaining true to their husbands. Next, young women were to work in their homes or be homemakers. The phrase does not prohibit women working another job or working outside the home. Rather, it highlights the critical value women have in caring for a home. 
Some women in Crete were likely known for being lazy and living for pleasure. In contrast, godly young women were to be known for their concern for their home, and they were also to do good, which is self-explanatory. And lastly, young women were to be submissive to their husbands. Submission between husband and wife is an often misunderstood concept. For example, this text cannot be used to promote the general domination of all women under all men. For marriage and family relationships to run smoothly, there must be one appointed leader. God has appointed the husband and father to be this leader. The wife should willingly follow her husband's leadership in Christ, acknowledging that this is his responsibility. Maturity provides the key to understanding submission. This husband must exercise self-control to be worthy of respect and to live wisely, as previously mentioned in verse 2. Likewise, the woman should not be rebellious, undermining, or contradicting the man. Submission means to accept the relationship that God has designed, voluntarily subjecting oneself to God's order and fulfilling the responsibilities that come with it. Paul's purpose in these instructions and every believer's purpose in following them were to glorify God. The believers were being watched. If they lived righteous and blameless lives, they would not bring shame on the word of God. For the believer to continue living in sin amounted to denying God's word and God himself, who had saved them from sin and expected them to obey his commands. Next up, verse 6, it says, In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Here's our question. How does Paul say Titus is to instruct young men in this verse? Titus is told to urge these men to live wisely. That's a phrase we've heard quite often through Timothy and here in Titus. Or in other words, be self-controlled, be sensible. This command in the Greek means to challenge or admonish. In other words, Titus is supposed to motivate young men to live with self-control. This same trait is also expected of older men and younger women. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It would have been an important correction for young men raised in the pleasure-seeking culture of Crete. Self-control is a crucial focus for young men seeking to live out the Christian faith. This involves both purity and other areas in which young men were to live as an example. In 1 Timothy 4.12, you might remember Paul offered a similar bit of advice commanding Timothy to be an example in everything he did despite his young age. The concept of a godly example is similar to the Torah where Moses was commanded to construct the tabernacle according to the pattern given to God. It was also developed in the next verse similarly to how Paul addressed Timothy. Verses 7 and 8 are next, and they say, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching cannot be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul gives Titus a list of traits associated with proper teaching of these young men. What are they? Titus, qualifying as a younger man himself, was urged to be an example for the young men in the churches that he led. His authoritative words could have no impact if not backed up by a blameless life of doing good works of every kind. Titus' teaching should emphasize wise living while his lifestyle should be an example of that. From speaking of Titus' actions, Paul turned to Titus' public ministry of teaching. His life should reflect the integrity and seriousness of what he taught and would contrast him with the false teachers who taught lies. This quality of integrity would come from careful Bible study and prayer. This would be especially important as Titus taught or confronted others about spiritual or moral issues. If he acted impulsively or unreasonably, he would more likely start arguments that convince people of the truth. 
Seriousness indicates teaching with reverence so that Titus' words would be respected and taken seriously. Paul counseled Titus to be above criticism in how he taught. Because of his unique role in Crete, his life must display a remarkable degree of correctness. He would be constantly on display. Titus' every word must be measured so that he would remain above reproach and condemnation. His exemplary life, teaching, and speech would shame those who might want to argue with him. Next up, verses 9 and 10. They say, Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Here's our question. This verse continues Paul's instructions to Titus about another group within the church. Who are they, and what does Paul say about them? Let me preface my answer by saying this. Slavery was common in Paul's day. Millions of slaves occupied the empire, and many of them found their way into the early churches. Slavery was an institution and would not be changed overnight. So Paul did not condemn the institution of slavery in any of his letters. But Paul advised both Christian slaves and masters to be loving and responsible in their conduct. Slaves were to obey their masters by nature of their position, but the difference Paul hoped to teach them was in their attitude toward their masters and toward the work they performed. They should treat their masters with respect and should do their best to please them. In other words, they no longer served because they had to, but because they loved the Lord and their masters and because they took pride in their work. Paul also said that they must not talk back, which meant that they should not be stubborn, unmanageable, or resistant to authority. They were also not to steal, which referred to any type of theft that might be classified as petty larceny. Instead, slaves are to demonstrate faithfulness. In other words, Christian slaves were to resist the temptation in order to show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Now, this last phrase of the verse explains why. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. The life goal of a Christian slave is to make the teachings of God appealing by living them out. An ancient slave had no direct influence over his or her master, but through godly behavior, they could influence their master to come to faith in Christ. There's an important theological thought that comes from the final phrase. Paul is a Jew and is writing to Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile, and yet Paul refers to God as our Savior. This means Paul saw both himself and Titus as brothers in Christ, part of a single family of God. This theme is often repeated in Titus, as we're seeing, and it emphasizes unity through Christ among all who believe in him. I'd encourage you to read Romans 10, verses 11 through 13 for more. Next up, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Our question is, this verse turns the focus of Paul's letter from the Christians of Crete to a discussion about what exactly? Paul's discussion now turns to the grace of God. The phrase, the grace of God has been revealed, is a reference to Jesus Christ and his appearance on earth. The grace Jesus brought was responsible for bringing salvation for all people. In the past, talk of salvation was primarily focused on the Jews as God's chosen people. However, with the coming of Jesus, the message of salvation was spreading to both Jews and Gentiles. This concept is especially important in this letter since Titus was a Gentile and led churches on Crete, a Gentile territory. Can you imagine the impact of this to those on Crete? When the gospel light is turned on in a place of darkness, changes are inevitable. Those who respond are transformed, and those who resist and reject the message can do so, but they're going to have to face the consequences. Next up, let's look at verses 12 and 13. They say, 
and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Here's the question. All of Paul's instructions in verses 1 through 10 can be summed up in two phrases that begin here in verse 12. What are they, and what is the rest of the message for both verses 12 and 13? Verses 1 through 10 can be summed up like this. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Do you see that? It's right there in verse 12. We live in this evil world, that phrase, where many totally reject God's influence in any area of life. Christians must renounce that attitude. Sinful pleasures are desires for the pleasures and activities of this world. Believers must replace those desires with the positive characteristics of wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. The motivation for the righteous living is looking forward to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. We can look forward to Christ's wonderful return with eager expectation and hope. Our hope makes us live each day ready morally and ethically to serve him. All right, let's look at verse 14. It says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Here's the question. This verse continues Paul's thoughts on the work of Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? Christ's act of sacrifice is summed up in the words, he gave his life. It indicates that he gave himself voluntarily. It was an act of love for us. He wanted to free us from every kind of sin. In other words, Christ paid the ultimate price. He removed our bondage to sin that made us lawless rebels. Christ had accomplished the work required to cleanse those whom he died to save. This purification process is often called sanctification. We're not only free from the sentence of death for our sin, but we're also purified from sin's influence as we grow in Christ. His redemption took care of the past. His purification makes the present and future an exciting and challenging prospect. Through his redemption, God made us his very own people. This phrase has an important Old Testament background. The basis of the covenant was God's choosing this people and purifying them to be set apart for his special use. As people who are cleansed and restored and who understand the awesome price paid on our behalf, we should thank God. We should also be living according to God's will, totally committed to doing good deeds, as the verse said. Then, when Christ returns, he'll find us ready, waiting, and doing good deeds or works. All right, we're already at the last verse for the day, folks. Here we go, verse 15. It says, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Our last question today is this. In this verse, Paul repeated his command to Titus to do several specific things. What are they? Paul repeated his command to Titus to be unafraid in his teaching ministry among the believers in Crete. The phrase is, these things. Do you see that right in that verse? Right in the beginning, these things. It refers to verses 1 through 10 that we just covered. Titus must teach, or in other words, speak out as opposed to being silent and thus allowing wrongdoing and sin. He was also to encourage, which can include to exhort, advise, commend, and or admonish, depending on the need. And he was also to correct them when necessary, express disapproval, and or reprimand if needed. In short, he was to persist by every means at his disposal to communicate to those in Crete what he had learned from Paul. Titus could do this on divine authority, for he had been entrusted by God with leadership gifts and with this ministry on the island of Crete. 
Well, folks, that brings us to the end of Titus chapter two. And once again, this was amazing. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been challenged. And I hope you can see how we can apply the word to our lives today. In a nutshell, this chapter detailed instructions for various groups within the church. These included older men, older women, younger men, and younger women. Paul commanded Titus to encourage positive behavior through those instructions and to correct anything which contradicted his teachings. Titus was also to be bold and authoritative in his work. Next week, we're going to conclude our study in Titus. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3. It's 15 verses long, and we're going to talk about Paul's words to Titus to do what is good, and then we'll examine Paul's final remarks and greetings. I'm excited that we're going to get together again, but until that time, I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope this has been a blessing to you, and if it has, then that belongs to the Lord. He gets the credit for it, but we give him the glory, don't we? Have a great rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.